<coughs> so interestingly enough, now that we've finished our sermon series in the book of John, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, uh, it's actually now time for Advent. Do you believe that? Sorry, every time I, this is the third time in my life I've preached sitting down. Uh, every time I do, I'm reminded I should do it more often. It's actually quite, it's actually quite nice preaching sitting down. So, uh, Advent, right? It's here. Um, and, and this season, uh, the material that is prepared for us, they, they prepare material at uh, territorial headquarters so that uh, everyone can sort of be on the same page across the Salvation Army so that we can feel like we're part of one family. And uh, this season, uh, the, the, I suppose the topic is the five questions of Christmas. Uh, what are the five questions of Christmas? And it's interesting uh, when I was looking at this uh, that if you think about it, most things in our lives begin with some form of question. Uh, there are different types of questions. There are simple questions, uh, most often demonstrated when you're talking to a child. I remember just this last weekend, we had my niece and nephew come and visit, and I would say to William, William, have you put your toys away? Now, <laughs> very simple question. The answer usually wasn't quite so simple. It was, well, thank you for asking that wonderful question, Uncle Jonathan. It's interesting that you should ask that. In fact, um, instead of asking that question, the question you should be asking is, have I started playing with other toys? And the answer to that question is yes, yes, I have. <laughs> Roundabouts, that's the way he answers the question, is by saying, have you put your toys away? No, but I have started playing with other ones and I'm having a great time, thank you very much. So there's simple questions, then there's sort of factual questions. You would ask Google these questions, right? Or if you have an iPhone, you would ask Siri, you know, Siri, where's the, the local Starbucks? This is the question that we ask during Christmas, especially in the Salvation Army. Where's the, where's the nearest coffee place that's still open? Then there's, then there's the rhetorical questions. Uh, th- these are my favorite to ask my wife, right? The, the rhetorical questions, oh, honey, did you, fill up, did you forget to fill up the car with gas again? I know the answer. She knows the answer. I'm not expecting her to say yes. The answer is going to be yes, she did. Theoretical questions, these are the ones, well, what would happen if? These are the ones that my wife likes to ask me. Well, what would happen if you did the washing up, sweetie? Well, then we'd have clean dishes in the house. Theoretical questions. Uh, Then there are trick questions. These are the ones that Grandpa likes to ask people, you know. Trick questions. These my father-in-law is very fond of asking people uh, who, who is the uh, only American president to not live in the White House. Now, those who know some American history automatically respond, George Washington, because he was the one that was building it. And he answers, no, 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 the president of Mexico. Trick question, who is the American president? They're part of America's. It's a thing. And then there are diversionary questions. Now, these... Uh, perhaps my favorite type of questions. Someone comes to ask me, you know, can I do something for them? I'm sa- I, I, I then turn it on their head and say, well, really what you need to be doing is asking Nikki that question, and then I leave, right? <laughs> questions, questions, questions. And perhaps all of you are thinking right now, when we're talking about Advent and now celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas, 
is this question here. <laughs> Already? <laughs> like, where did the year go? Am I right? Like, it's gone. It, it's, just, it's just gone. In our scripture passage that was read for us, we're going to uh, talk about a character called Zechariah. Now, we're going to, to build a little bit in a, in a little bit for some information, but Zechariah in, in this sort of passage asks this question here. How will I know this is true? And that's his big question. So keep that in mind. We're going to go through some historical information, just some sort of background. This is the professor speaking. I'm sorry, but we, you, know, you have to deal with this at the beginning so you don't have to get bogged down with this for the rest of our time together. So here's some of the information that we need to know about Christmas. There are four Gospels. I know, you've all learned something. Four Gospels. Only two of them tell the story of Jesus' birth. Matthew starts with a very long and exhaustive genealogy. Mark starts with, the, with a simple statement that just says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. John starts with his, in the beginning was the word, rant. And then Luke starts with, starts with a more uh, historical approach. It's always interesting when you read the gospel of Luke. Luke wasn't there. He wasn't present. He wasn't an eyewitness. But instead what Luke did was he went around to different people and he got information from them. Specifically what he did is he is he set out that this was a historical event in a specific time, the time of King Herod of Judea, in a specific location, Judea and Jerusalem, and with a specific people. There was a priest named Zechariah. It almost sounds like the, the start of a bad joke. Hey, a priest called Zechariah walks into the temple. You'd think he would have seen it coming. That was a good joke. No one? He walked into the temple. You think he would have seen nothing? All right, fine. You know what? Whatever. I prepare all week long, and that's what you do. Good grief. All right. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, these are some fun characters. Do you know anything about Zechariah and Elizabeth? Both of them came from priestly families. Both of them uh, were from the tribes of priests, and so they... They knew the routines of the temple. They knew the prophecies of the Messiah. Um, And both of them are mentioned for their faithfulness, but they're also both mentioned because they were childless. They were getting on in years, and they hadn't yet been blessed with children. We know that Elizabeth is a relative of Mary. In fact, she was uh, uh, Mary's cousin. And Zechariah appears to be a country priest. Now, he would be on a daily basis, responsible for uh, administering sacrificial duties outside of the city in little rural areas, almost like a traveling priest or an itinerant minister. Uh, But every so often what they would do is they would pull those people in to do temple duties so that everyone could be a part. And so what we know about Zechariah is that he was a priest that was on call to do some priestly duties. In fact, it says in our story that this particular time, his name was drawn by Lot to be the one who offered the incense offering. The incense offering is one of the most important parts of temple sacrifice. Uh, In fact, it represents prayer ascending to God. That's why the book of Ephesians says, let your prayers be uh, a fragrant offering. It doesn't mean that your prayers have to be fancy, but instead it's invoking imagery of the Old Testament, the the offering of incense and prayers up to God. Uh, Zechariah would be symbolically praying for the nation. Um, 
people prayed outside while the priest went inside to make the offering. And so uh, he would be inside praying to God and offering incense. There would be people in the outer courts praying, and then there would be people even on the outside of the temple itself praying that everything goes right. You see, his offerings mattered for the entire nation because he was offering uh, for their salvation, for their forgiveness of sins. It was a holy moment and one to be taken very seriously. And so it was right here in this sort of setup. So Zechariah, a country priest who hasn't got children, who has, haven't been blessed with children yet, uh, who has been drawn by random chance, by the drawing of lots to be the one who is responsible for praying for the nation of Israel. He goes into the temple. Everyone's around on the outside praying that he doesn't mess up. And he goes in to offer incense and suddenly an angel of the Lord appears, and Zechariah is perhaps one of my favorite people uh, because he has the correct reaction when an angel of the Lord appears. I'm sorry, all these weird people in Scripture when the angel of the Lord appears and they're like, oh, sup, angel, what's going on? No, a flaming angel appears, you'd be terrified, right? He is terrified. He's a good man. He's normal. I like this about him. He is a country priest. He doesn't put on airs. He sees an angel presumably white robe, halo, sword, whatever an angel's got going on, he's like, that's not normal, I'm terrified. I like this man. I really do. Because he knows some of the stories from the Old Testament of what happened to priests when angels of the Lord appeared to them in the temple. In fact, uh, Aaron, who was the first high priest, the brother of Moses, had two sons who went into the temple here in the book of Numbers. Uh, I think I've got the story up there. Number 16. Um, they went into the temple to offer false fire to the Lord, and because they didn't do it appropriately, the Lord struck them down dead instantly. So when, so when Zechariah sees an angel of the Lord appears, like perhaps he's like me, his first reaction would have been, oh, I messed up, I'm dead. You know? Like when the wife comes home, you're supposed to do the washing up, you didn't. Oh, good Lord, I'm dead. Right? Am I with you? Like, some of you are with me. The, the, the married gentlemen are with me. I like it. Verse 13 picks up and says this. This is uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Now, side note, not in my notes, but just side note. Do you know how many times this phrase appears or a, a version of this phrase appears? Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. It appears all over scripture. And it's got one of God's wonderful promises to us. Do not be afraid. For your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy, gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many to the ch of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Oh, hey, that's cool. All right, so some of you aren't quite as excited, right? If you are a parent and you get told that your child is going to be the one, he's the one that is going to be filled with the power of the spirit of Elijah. This is the Elijah of the Old Testament that did miracles, raised people from the dead, did all sorts of weird and wonderful things. This is this Elijah 
Your son is going to be filled with that. He's going to be the one that brings the children of Israel back into the favor of the Lord. Remember, the children of Israel had not heard a direct message from the Lord for 400 years at this point. Since the prophet Malachi had gone silent 400 years earlier, there had been no prophets. There had been no direct messages from the Lord. So suddenly, God is speaking once again. He's going to turn the disobedient to the wisdom and justice. He's going to restore justice once again to the kingdom. And he's going to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. They're going to be prepared for the coming of Christ. Oh, wonderful. For a priest, this was everything he ever wanted. On a personal level and on a public level. Privately, he'd been wanting to have a kid. Now he's going to have one. Not only is he going to have a kid... He, that kid is going to be the chosen of the Lord. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the mother's womb. He's going to be doing all this amazing thing. It is everything, everything that Zechariah could ever possibly hope for or imagine. Verse 18 says this, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Gentlemen, there is a lesson here for us. You don't mention your wife's name. Uh, age. 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 You do what Abraham did. Abraham said, I am 96 years old and my wife is a little older than I. You never call your wife advanced in years if you want to live a long and happy life. And in fact, what happens to John in the story? He gets struck dumb and he can't speak for nine months. Just saying, there might be a correlation there. The angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I think he wins the argument just with that sentence, right? I am the angel Gabriel and I literally stand next to God. God speaks and then I deliver the message to you. Like that's my job. I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Listen, I come from God. I am an angel. I am on fire. And you still don't believe me? What's really interesting about this is this is not the first time this has happened. Uh, there's a story in Scripture in the book of Exodus of a guy called Moses. You might have heard of him. He's kind of famous. Who is wandering around doing his shepherd thing and he sees a bush on fire but not getting consumed. And so he's like, huh, let's go check this out. Like not, hey, miracle, let's go approach this with grace and reverence. He's like, oh, let's go check this out. There are times all through scripture of the chosen ones of God arguing with God and saying things like, are you sure? Did you really, did you really pick me? Are you sure you want me to be the one to do this? All through scripture, Moses did it. David did it. Solomon did it. Um, Jonah literally went, got on a boat and headed in the opposite direction. Happens all the time. But the angel says, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in your time. Zachariah's situation crystallizes the question that pretty much everyone asks 
when you're having a conversation with God. If you're being honest, if you've had a conversation with God, I'm going to guess that one of these questions has come up. How will I know this is true? Like when you're reading Scripture and you, you see these promises in, in Scripture that says, God is going to never leave you or forsake you. How will I know this is true? Can I trust God? Can I trust Him that He's a God who says He's going to do what He is? How can I, how can I be sure of this? What guarantee do I have if I'm going to risk my reputation, my career, my finances, the precious time that I have, how can I be sure of this? How can I make sure that this is true and not something that, that is just going to, to get flushed down the toilet because I trusted the wrong person? Who can I trust? If you've been hurt in the past by anyone, but especially by a member of the church, you ask yourself again the question, how can I trust anyone in this church? I've been hurt before. Let's be honest. We ask these questions of God. Zachariah, you sort of see him asking this question internally. He knows who he is. He says, you know, I, I know all about Abraham and Sarah. Because he did, because he was a priest, so he knew the story. So he knew that Abraham was 96 years old, and he knew that uh, Sarah was slightly older than he. And he knows that God showed up and said, you're going to have a, a, a child, and they did. So he knows that God is capable of this. It's in all the old stories. But that was Abraham. That was the father of the nations. That was the father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had father Abraham. And I am one of them. So are you. Let's all go to the temple and praise the Lord. That was that Abraham, this great figure. One of the things I'm very fond of saying is that Zechariah does what we do. We, we look at some of these stories of the Old Testament and we elevate these figures to near mythical stories. David fought Goliath, yet he was a teenager. And he was kind of a moody teenager at that. Like, let's be honest, read the Psalms. He was a little bit bipolar in there. One day, Lord, you're so far away from, my, from me, I can't feel your presence. I'm, you abandoned me forever. And then literally the next Psalm, you're so close to me, I love you, I can never escape from your presence. Like literally, next to each other in Scripture. Like, but we build David up to be this near mythical figure when really he's just, just someone that God chose. Moses was nobody when he was chosen. Solomon wasn't wise to begin with. The wisdom was granted to him from the Lord. And so, so Zechariah asks this sort of internally, you can sort of see it, I'm just a country priest, why would God choose me? And for the same reason in the book of Numbers, God chose a donkey to deliver his message. Because if he can use a donkey, he can use you. Anyway, moving on. Another question maybe that he was speaking, it's too late. Uh, time is a really important factor for Luke when you, when you read through some of the, the gospel. So he tells of the political time, the reign of Herod, the religious time, time for Zechariah to go to the temple, and the physical time that Elizabeth was old and she couldn't bear children anymore. So for, for Zechariah, he's asking this question, I'm out of time. There's no time left. How are you going to get this accomplished in the time that I have left? I tell you, there is four weeks to Christmas 
we have a kettle budget and sometimes we look at it and we're like, how are we going to get this done in time? There is a finite amount of it. If, if, if you were to ask yourself what your most important resource is in all of life, it's time. It is the one thing you cannot get back. But God is asking Zachariah to trust him with time. Third thing that I think is going through Zechariah's mind is that the world is a messed up place, right? The Greeks had come in and conquered them. Well, it started before that. Babylonians had come in and conquered them. The Assyrians had come in and conquered them. The Persians had come in and conquered them. The Greeks had come in and conquered them. The Romans had come in and conquered them. They had been conquered time and time again. In the temple, the priest wasn't allowed to offer his sacrifices because he, the, the royal vestments, the, the priestly vestments, were actually locked in the cupboard of Pontius Pilate. And he had to go, the priest had to go to Pilate, whoever the, the Roman ruler was, and beg for him to be able to use those priestly robes to go into the temple to offer sacrifices. Everything in Israel was not their own at this time. It was all uh, under Roman rule. Not only that, the, the people of Israel had messed up again. They were following weird and wonderful deities. They'd, they had built temples in the hills again. They were sacrificing to pagan gods again. Um, and so one of those promises of the angel is that your son will bring people back to the Lord is, is a real promise there. And so again, it's a, it had to have been in Zechariah's uh, mind. The world is too messed up for any of this to happen. So, with all that being said, those being the questions, are you interested in some of the answers? Because I am. I, I was, you know, normally when material is prepared for me, I take it with a little bit of grain of salt. But some of these questions were, I believe, very timely. How do you deal with these things? So, here we go. One of the answers was for Zechariah to stop talking for a long time. Nine months, he was silent. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of you need to go for nine months without talking, mainly because my sister-in-law isn't here this week. I got a couple laughs. That was good. But maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons why we can't hear the voice of the Lord talking with us is because we never shut up. Think about it. And I'm not saying that you stop praying. I'm not saying stop speaking to, to the Lord. But sometimes the busyness of our own lives, we get caught up in that busyness. And we don't hear God because we're too busy talking and rushing from point A to point B to point C. We live in a very busy society. I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm just saying this is one of the realities is that uh, my wife has, for the kettle season, she has two phones, believe it or not. She has her phone and she has a kettle phone. And that thing goes off all the time and my wife if you know her if her phone goes off she can't help but answer it it's in her nature so we'll be in the middle of having a conversation and I love my wife this is not a bad thing about her but we'll be in the middle of conversation we'll be talking and I think we're getting somewhere and suddenly she'll be having another conversation one of the reverse also happens I'll call her on the phone we'll be having a conversation and suddenly the conversation doesn't make sense anymore because someone stepped into her office and she started talking to them instead. We live in an increasingly busy world. Running up to Christmas, it's going to get busier. 
So maybe, just maybe, to hear the voice of God, we need to stop talking, maybe sit for a while in stillness, in just silence, and spend some time truly meditating on the Word of God and truly open to what He wants us to hear. Another way of solving some of these questions is to sit with the questions. What I mean by this is to not avoid asking them. Sometimes when you get a difficult question, uh, you avoid it. Why wasn't God with me when this happened? Put in whatever disaster you want. Why wasn't God with me when my car ran out of gas, when I got a flat tire, when it broke down? Why wasn't God with me when, gosh, when I lost my house, or when I lost my job, or when I did this or whatever? Sometimes what we do is we avoid these questions. Um, We run off like Jonah in the opposite direction. And sometimes what we need to do is just sit with these questions and again, meditate on God's word. One of my most hated sayings is when people pick up the Bible and say, this is a roadmap to life. Now, to be fair, there are some maps in the back. If you turn to the black back, most Bibles have, you know, this is Palestine, this is Judea, this is Paul's third missionary journey, twice removed from his brother's cousin's second side. There's some maps in the back. But the Bible isn't a step-by-step map on how you are to live your life into the things that are going to happen to you. But what I can guarantee is this. If you're going through something, if you boil down to the root of it, someone in Scripture went through it as well. Book of Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are, yet remained without sin. So when you're tempted by sin, someone else in Scripture was tempted by sin as well. And there's a a way of dealing with it. So maybe some of the the ways of, of dealing with this stuff is just to sit with the questions. To pray. We build a relationship with God. And anyone who has spent any time dealing with marriage or marriage counseling will tell you one of the keys to building a strong and healthy relationship is communication. That if you don't communicate well, the relationship isn't going to go anywhere. Why do we think magically that that's going to change just because it's God? We need to communicate with God. We need to pray. We need to be more serious about our prayer life. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to, you don't have to pray in, in King James. I've met people who do. It's weird. God doesn't care what language you use. In fact, Scripture says uh, in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit actually brings our groaning to the throne of grace. You don't even have to articulate words, but your heart and mind have to be in that place where you want to communicate with God, where you want to ask for His favor when you want to ask for his guidance and his will for your life you need you need to be able to pray and perhaps one of the hardest things to do is to wait and see what happens you've been silent you have sat with the hard questions you've prayed what do you do then Zechariah had to wait for nine months the angel of the Lord said 
you're going to be silent until you give birth and you're going to be waiting in this time and in the, in the correct time you'll see that the word of the lord is fulfilled zechariah had to wait nine months for some of us we have to wait a little bit longer in our instant society we get mad if things take longer than two minutes i was uh, last year during kettle season after kettle pickups about nine o'clock at night i decided i wanted an apple pie from McDonald's. You can judge me all you want, I don't care. I wanted an apple pie. I drove to McDonald's, I gave them my dollar for, well, dollar fifty for two apple pies. Deal, by the way. 75 cents a piece, you can't beat it. But the woman came to the window and she said to me, it's going to take seven minutes for us to cook these pies. Are you sure you want to wait? Like seven minutes? We can't wait seven minutes for crispy, delicious, deep-fried apple goodness? Well, I can. So I said, yes, I will wait. I will pull up into the little weird party. I put on some music. I put my chair back for five minutes, and I listened to the Christian radio station for a little bit and just relaxed. Sometimes waiting is not just waiting for God to speak, but it's also a way for your soul to relax. And if you can eat them and you're not diabetic, do it with an apple pie. It makes it, makes it wonderful. The answer for Zechariah was, you will know as you live it. You will know that these things are going to come to pass as you live in God's will and God's presence for your life. You will know when you live it couple of things that Zechariah didn't know. He didn't know his son was going to be an itinerant minister living in the wilderness, uh, drinking honey and eating locusts, and wearing camel skin as clothing. He didn't know that his son was going to get arrested for speaking truth to power. Now, uh, there's a very interesting story in Scripture. Is uh, John the Baptist gets arrested and put into, into prison. And John had followers himself, and he had disciples, and he had heard that Jesus was doing the things that Jesus was supposed to do. He was uh, healing people, and he was curing blindness and leprosy and doing all this stuff. And so John the Baptist goes to his disciples and say, go and find Jesus and ask him if he's the one I've been waiting for or if I should wait longer for another. And... The disciples go to Jesus, and Jesus says, Tell this to John, that you see the sight being restored to the blind, that the deaf are hearing, and that the dead are raised. He was quoting from the book of Isaiah. Now, the book of Isaiah has one extra line on the back there. Um, the full quotation is, The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead are being raised, and the prisoners will go free. Where's John? In prison. Jesus left that line off. It was um, an interesting way of Jesus saying, you're going to be killed for following the convictions placed in your heart by God. It was Jesus' way of saying, following God may actually end badly for you. Just because you follow God does not mean that you were guaranteed sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. For a lot of these people in Scripture, following God ended badly for them. John the Baptist ended up getting beheaded for the sake of a prostitute. 
the dancer came in and danced in front of Herod and Herod said, I will give you anything you want, just ask it of me. And because she had a wicked mother, her mother said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. So John the Baptist ended up giving his life because he wouldn't back down from the conviction that God had placed in his heart. Following God may end badly for you. I wonder if Zechariah was still alive. These are real people in Scripture. These aren't just make-believe fairy tale people. They aren't mythical creatures. They're real people in real situations. Do you ever wonder if Zechariah and Elizabeth were still alive when John the Baptist was beheaded for the sake of God? That they knew that John the Baptist's cousin Jesus was the Messiah and he had the power to save John but didn't. I don't know. What I do know is this is Jesus Christ, when speaking of John the Baptist, said there is no one greater born of men. Following God may physically end up badly for you, but I can guarantee that spiritually it'll be the best decision that you can ever make in your life. As we move into this Advent season, we're going to be asking every week a bunch of questions. How will I know that this is true? How will I know that this is right? How do I know this is correct? How do I know that I can trust in God? How do I know that He's going to come through for me? There are answers to those questions found in Scripture, but you need to be quiet. You need to sit with the questions. You need to pray, and you need to wait for God to answer. I can't guarantee a lot, but I can guarantee that God will answer because He is faithful and He loves us. And following God may end badly for you, but I can guarantee that even if it ends physically badly for you, spiritually you will win the greatest victory that you can possibly win. Eternity with Christ in heaven. Amen? Let's pray and then we're going to uh, have our benediction. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time you've given us to come together in your name to talk more about your word and your works. I thank you, Lord God, that you sent the angel to Zechariah to give to him a son who was going to prepare the way for our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that for everyone here today, that if they are struggling with anything, Lord, that you bring your comforting Holy Spirit into their lives. That you help us, Lord, to be silent, to sit in the questions no matter how hard they are, to pray, and Lord, to wait on your answers. We thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus, amen.